Christian greetings to all of you this morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. It's another time of encouragement as we meet together and study the word together, fellowship. I enjoy times like this and I trust you do too. A song that we sang in the earlier part of the service this morning struck me. It was a song, How Shall I Follow Him I Serve? And it struck me at that point because it, some themes in it uh, related to what I'd like to share this morning. But then after our Sunday school lesson, it hit me again that it goes very well with the Sunday school lesson. I would just like to recall uh, a couple of those verses from that song. Verse 3 starts this way, Oh, let me think how thou didst leave untasted every, every pure delight. Now, this is one of those songs where occasionally, the, because of the way we sing it, and because of how the, where the phrasing happens, sometimes we miss the gist of what it's saying. Oh, let me think how thou didst leave untasted every pure delight. Sometimes, at least in my mind, I've always thought that was referring to how Jesus left somewhere. Maybe he left heaven. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. It's saying that let us consider that Jesus left alone things that, that would stir up his flesh. He left them untasted. He didn't taste them. <laughs> he didn't get involved with things that, that, that his flesh cried after, if you know what I mean. He lived a life of sacrifice. Oh, let me think how thou didst leave untasted every pure delight. To fast, to faint, to watch, to grieve, the toilsome day, the homeless night. The example of Jesus there. And then we read, To faint, to grieve, to die for me. Thou camest not thyself to please. And dear as earthly comforts be, shall I not love thee more than these? And then the response is, Yes, I would count them all but loss to gain the notice of thine eye. Flesh shrinks and trembles at the cross, but thou canst give the victory. That just stood out to me in a special way this morning as as we sang that together. The example of Jesus in, in living a life of sacrifice and humility and what that should do to you and I as we consider that this morning. Now, for those of you who are looking forward to getting into James chapter 3 this morning, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to take a little break from the book of James. And uh, we, will, we will get into that before too long. But in the near future, I'm supposed to give weekend meetings uh, up in the valley at Peak Mennonite Church. And so I'm beginning to do some preparation for that. And as I like to do, I... Uh, Y'all are sort of the guinea pigs. <laughs> I share my preparation with you on, on the way to uh, weekend meetings elsewhere. So the theme that they had given me uh, for its, its the first weekend in March is the abundant life in Christ. The abundant life in Christ. And then there's several messages, and, and I don't know that I'll share them all here, but, but at least this first one. Um, the first message is abound in love. Uh, The second one is abound in pleasing God. And the third one is abound in the grace of giving. And so it's it's messages about 
abundance in Christ and then uh, how we ought to abound, how we ought to be abounding in, in these things. You know, when God gives something, he never gives it halfway. <laughs> when God gives something, he never gives it sparingly. No, not at all. Think about it, some, some things from Scripture. I, I noticed recently the, the miracle of feeding the 5,000, where Jesus fed the 5,000. And, and I've, this, is, this has struck me different times, but it did again. You know, he, he fed all those people. It was actually much more than 5,000 people, from my understanding. But when they were all done, they collected all the, the leftovers. They had 12 whole baskets of leftovers. That just stood out to me as I was pondering this message. You know, when God does something, he never does it halfway. He made sure there was plenty of food, and maybe they just didn't eat as much that day. I don't know, but there was plenty there. They weren't looking for more. Uh, You know, when the woman of Samaria came to the well to get some water that day, she was just thinking she was going to get some water. But actually, she found out about the living water. That's real water. That's real water. Uh, wisdom. In, in the book of James, we read that, that God gives wisdom liberally to all those who ask for it. Not just a little bit, but he just pours it out for those who ask for it. Uh, joy. The scripture speaks about uh, having your joy. It's, it's full. Your joy is complete. Uh, the scripture also speaks about unspeakable joy. Peace. God gives peace that passes all understanding. Love, it's everlasting love. And then life. God doesn't, I mean, we know what life is. But God gives eternal life. God gives abundant life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Not just Regular old life, <laughs> no, abundant life, more abundantly. You know, abundant life flows from an abundant God. Abundant life flows from an abundant God. Uh, a few examples here from Scripture. Exodus 34, 6. Think about our God here and, and what he gives and how he gives it and what he has. Exodus 34, 6 says that God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. In Isaiah 55, 7, we read that he abundantly pardons. Ephesians 3, 20, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. In 1 Timothy 1, 14, Paul says that God's grace was poured out on him abundantly. Titus 3.6, God has shed his mercy on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter and 2 Peter 1.11 that if we are faithful, one day we will receive an abundant welcome into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <laughs> That'll be quite a day to receive an abundant welcome. I say abundant life flows from an abundant God. Uh, Truly the psalmist was right when he wrote, those who fear the Lord lack nothing. 
And those who seek the Lord shall lack no good thing. I turn to Psalm 36 as we consider this just a moment. Psalm 36, just some, some very powerful, heartwarming verses here as we consider who our God is and then what we receive at the hands of such a God like this. Psalm 36, verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. <laughs> that sounds abundant to me. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou hast preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Or another translation says, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. That's beautiful. (laughs) Dear people, when we stop and consider what we have so abundantly received, it demands an abundant response. It demands an abundant response. We have an outstanding debt as believers to love. An outstanding debt to love. Jesus said, freely ye have received, freely give. And that, does, that doesn't only mean that it didn't, salvation didn't cost us anything. No, it is a free gift. But that word implies more than just the dollar amount. It also implies that it was abundantly given. Freely. No holding back. Freely ye have received. Freely give. I say that what we have received so abundantly it demands an abundant response. And this takes us to the subject here that we're looking at this morning, and that is abound in love. Abound in love. Love, yeah. Our society is, you could say, saturated and infatuated with this thing called love. Uh, the word is, is carelessly thrown around as a one-size-fits-all expression, you could say. For example, you know, you hear people, and perhaps we do the same thing. I mean, we're, we're one and the same sometimes, but, but these are things that, that I've heard people say and things that have come to my attention. As you look around in society, you know, I love pizza, and I love ice cream, and I and I love the Virginia Cavaliers, and I love LeBron James, and I love the Bible, and I love, oh, I love God, of course, you know, and I love aqua, you know, and I, and I love hunting, and I love sewing, and, and I love the Beatles, and I, such a conglomeration of loves that you hear people say, you know. I say we live in a society that is in love with a mind-boggling amount of seemingly contrasting things. 
How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't think it works. <laughs> I don't think it works. But I've also observed that love has become a common part of home interior decor. <laughs> I, you know, just walk into someone's house nowadays and, and you'll, all, you'll see love on the wall, different places. It's not uncommon to see love on the wall. Um, or go, go with your wife on a date sometime to Hobby Lobby. And, and there's love plaques all over the place. In fact, I found it interesting as I was studying uh, for this, I, I leaned back and looked around my office up there in the upstairs, and I saw four plaques. I was surrounded by love. <laughs> you would think that this message just really came easy from then on, right? No. Um, but, but, you know, one, one just said love. One said love deeply. One said live, laugh, love. And the other said I love you, Mom. <laughs> you know, if it was only that easy, if it was only that easy, just put a plaque on the wall and you got it. No. Sometimes I wonder if that's how the world thinks. Once again, this society is, is full and overflowing with love, and yet it is completely empty, and I say it is desperately lonely because uh, this world is in love with themselves. It's a very self-centered kind of love. It's love that, that, that asks this question, what can I get out of this? What is in it for me? It's, it's that kind of mindset. And so it makes us ponder. So what really is love anyway? You know, the Bible is also saturated with love. I mean, from the first page to the last page, uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life in Revelation, there is, there is this central and overwhelming theme that runs throughout, and that is love. Love. And so, you know, as I, as I work on a message like this, it's almost overwhelming to even know what to do because there's just so much love in the Bible. It's just so much there. And yet, when we think about, when we contrast the loves here, the love that I mentioned earlier in the illustrations, and we contrast the love that we see in the scripture, this is such a different kind of love. It's a love that fills and comforts and empowers and, and gives companionship and gives purpose to life. And, and saves and redeems. And it's, and it's an eternal kind of love. It has eternal value. Because this love is not, it's not founded in human flesh. Or in the stuff of this world. But this love has unmatched significance and power. Because it is founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the God of love. In fact, Scripture says various times, He is love. God is love. It's His nature. It's who He is. He's love. And the Scripture then says that we are to abound in this love. We are to abound in this love. Now, to abound is to be plentiful, uh, to be fully supplied uh, you could say teeming 
In other words, our life is to be teeming with the love of God. Just full of it. Now, it's important to note that being in love is a very positive biblical directive. I found that interesting. Uh, It's not just for those who are dating or married. (laughs) No, but it's for all of us. We we all must be in love. The Bible speaks much of that. However, in in my studies, I didn't find anything in the Bible about falling in love. (laughs) So that's a little different story. But it's interesting. I noted that, okay, so in the places in Scripture where the phrase in love is used, it's always a positive thing except one time. It's always a positive thing to be in love except one time. And I found that interesting that it happened to be in 1 Kings chapter 11 where it says Solomon uh, loved many strange women and he clave unto these in love. It's interesting. But moving along, in love, it's a, it's a very positive biblical directive. And here's a few. Uh, Ephesians, actually... The Apostle Paul uses this phrase a lot. It's something that is very important to him. You'll see it a lot in Ephesians and then a few other of his, of his epistles. But Ephesians 1.4, we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Uh, Ephesians 3.17, rooted and grounded in love. Chapter 4, verse 2, we are to forbear one another in love. We are to speak the truth in love. 4.16, it says, under under Christ, the church grows and builds itself up in love. Uh, 5, verse 2, walk in love. Now in Colossians 2, verse 2, we should be knit together in love. First of all, it's funny, when I was studying this, I just jotted down knit together in love. And then I looked at that later, and all of a sudden, that looks like, Something we are to do, to knit together in love. (laughs) Sound like the sewing circle or something, but I guess you should do that too, in love. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.13, we should esteem church leaders very highly in love for their work's sake. Uh, Just some examples of living a life in love. It, it, it speaks of a position, of a place, of a foundation. I'm building my life on this. This is how I go about life. I'm doing it in love as opposed to other ways you could do it. As I studied for this message, uh, I was reminded once again that this kind of love, uh, the kind that finds power in the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate mark of the believer. This kind of love is the ultimate mark of the believer. Uh, It is centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is is where it it comes from. That is its center. And and the question that this this kind of love asks of us is, is really what the psalmist said. He said, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits unto me? That's, that's the question this kind of love asks of us. What can I give back? How can I repay the Lord for all that he's done for me? It's not what can I get out of this. It's what can I, what can I do? How can I give myself because of the love of God for me? You see, 
Truly, love doesn't start with us. No, but God's love is our motivating factor. Uh, John 3.16, a very familiar verse. But for God so loved the world that he gave. That shows how much he loved. He so loved that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the gift that is being offered. And then when we accept this unspeakable gift, the scripture says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So the love of God, he loved us so much that he gave, and then we accept that, and now the love of God is shed abroad into our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Okay, now, now, now we're beginning to live in love. And then the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men to do the same. He says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Since we know what it means to, to love the Lord, since we have been blessed, since we have, have find the benefit and the joy in that, now we try to persuade the men, we try to persuade those to do the same. Give your heart to the Lord. We can't keep from that because the love of Christ compels us or it presses us. It urges us to do the same. Adam Clark, in his commentary, had some very powerful words, I thought, along this line. He says, We have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, and this causes us to love God intensely and to love and labor for the salvation of men. And it is the effect produced by this love which bears us away with itself, which causes us to love after the similitude of that love by which we are influenced. And as God so loved the world as to give his son for it, and as Christ so loved the world as to pour out his life for it, so we, influenced by the very same love, desire to spend and be spent for the glory of God and the salvation of immortal souls. By the fear of God, the apostles endeavored to persuade and convince men, and the love of Christ constrained them so to act." Let's turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I would like us to note the importance of abounding. We're thinking this morning about abounding in love. Why abound anyway? Why not just be in love and be done? <laughs> but note the scripture speaks much about abounding. What is the importance, what is the significance of abounding? Okay, 2 Peter chapter 1. And in the first few verses there, uh, the Apostle Peter writes about the many blessings that we have received through God. Well, I'll just read it. It's, it's, yeah, why, why, why try to say it in my words when I can read his? Verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, so that's the foundation. We have received salvation and many wonderful blessings through Christ. And then he writes, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity, or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter doesn't just simply write, if these things be in you, then you're good to go. I guess he could have, but he didn't. He wrote, if these things be in you and abound. Okay, so what is that implying? What is abounding there implying? Well, as as I look at it, it implies an ongoing, current, continual desire to grow in the likeness of Christ. In other words, I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived yet. Yeah, I'm working on patience, I'm working on brotherly kindness, I'm working on love, I'm working on these things, but I haven't reached it yet. I see room for growth. And so they're not just in me, but they need to abound. I also also believe that it implies obedience. Simple obedience to the scripture. These things are in you, they're abounding, there's growth. There's desire there. Uh, It also implies spiritual health, vitality. This person is not stagnant in their faith. They're moving. There's action. There's health. It also implies passion and purpose and focus in life. They have a goal to meet, and they're pressing on. They're abounding. You see... There's a tendency for us to become just okay with where we are in life. You know, we're tired of fighting the temptations. We're, you know, it's just easier that way. If we can kind of reach this place and, and, and we've, we've worked on that, we've, you know, we were working on patience for a while, and the past week we've, we finally had some breakthroughs in patience, and we've got it now. And, and it's, it's, now it's easier. I don't have to keep working on that and, and stop fighting that. And, you know, we finally conquered that one. And let's just, let's just put it in cruise control. That's sort of the, the human tendency, just to put it in cruise control. I say, no way. No way. <laughs> there is no safety in cruise control for the Christian. In fact, uh, there truly is not a cruise control for the Christian. I would, I would tend to say that when we think it's in cruise control, it is then that we really lose control. <laughs> I mean, that we're not in control then. We think that we can just kind of maintain, but that is not how life is. Things don't just maintain without effort. With effort, they increase. With no effort, they digress. There's not a constant middle ground where you can just sit there and chill out. And so we are called to press forward in godliness, uh, to keep keeping on. The scripture says to, to always abound in the work of the Lord. 
you know, there's no graduation service for the Christian on this side of death. No, there's not. But faithfulness requires a daily desire to grow in the likeness of Christ. And so, in this message, we're going to note four areas where we ought to be abounding in love. Now, this morning, we're just going to look at two of them. And then in a couple weeks, uh, when I'm scheduled to preach again, we'll probably look at two more. Uh, But this morning, we're going to look at the need to abound uh, in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and then in our home. In our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and in our home, abounding in love. Our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this truly is the foundation upon which all other loves are built. This is, this is central to everything. My personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It defines how I, how I relate to the other things in life around me. When we have a red-hot zeal for God and His Word, and by the way, uh, that that red-hot zeal includes a daily surrender to God's will, to God's way. It's a daily surrender. It's not, I made this commitment one time, and, you know, that's what I decided to do, and we're good to go. No, but it's a daily surrender. I find that necessary in my life. Perhaps you do too. But, but this red-hot zeal for God and His Word includes a daily surrender to God's will, to God's way. It also includes a listening ear to those gentle nudges of the Holy Spirit. But I say when we have a red-hot zeal for God and His Word, it will overflow into our home. It will overflow into our church. It will overflow into our community, into our businesses, into the people that we rub shoulders with, that we run into, to, run into in town, you could say, in the grocery store, in various places. This, this personal relationship with Jesus Christ truly cannot be contained inside, but it will overflow in, in many wonderful ways to those around us. In fact, every dimension of life, I believe, will experience blessing and power when we are abounding in love for Jesus Christ personally. Everything else will be affected by that zeal. I had to think about it, how love and obedience go hand in hand. Love and obedience go hand in hand. We are quick to obey what we love. We are quick to obey what we love. Think about that for a moment. Who's giving you the shots in your life? Who's calling the shots? You know, if something is important to us, we'll pursue it. And we'll, we'll, we'll follow through with the demands, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a, you know, a sports team or something. Um, it becomes evident that those things are directing us. They're calling shots in our life, as it were. But we're quick to obey what we truly love. I say obedience will never be a chore when we are abounding in love for God. A committed believer will never respond to the word with, 
oh boy, really? You know, and a kind of a downcast expression and, you know, balking at it and, and so forth. No, because, because obedience and love go hand in hand. If he truly loves, he obeys. It's part of the package. Love and obedience go hand in hand. When a committed believer understands what God is asking of them, then they are willing to walk through that door. Now, I didn't say it's easy. (laughs) No, but there's a willingness to follow through when there's understanding there. I thought of the song that we sing occasionally. And a little phrase in that song says, Prompt to serve and follow thee. Loving him who first loved me. It's that, that's kind of that idea. Uh, turn to John chapter 14. Uh, and just note here, Jesus made this very clear. How love and obedience go hand in hand. John chapter 14. Some very straightforward verses. This is something that even the children, uh, you children can understand this. Because in a sense, it relates to how you respond to your daddy and mommy as well. 14 verse 15, Jesus said, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Uh, Verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Skip down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Loving and obedience. Love and obedience. Hand in hand. And, and turn to 1 John. Uh, the Apostle John, this was obviously something that was important to him as well. He picked up on this. Obviously, he wrote the Gospel of John, and now... Uh, we have the epistles of John, and we have the same themes coming through. Something that, that really kept ringing in his ears, perhaps, as he thought of Jesus and his instructions and his words. What was important? What stood out to him? Well, it was love and obedience that really made a difference to him. First uh, John chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. I'm sorry, uh, starting at verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. Oh, you want to know what love is? This is a description here. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commands are not grievous. That's about as straightforward as it gets. You, know, you want to know what love for God is? Obey him. <laughs> love for God is expressed in obedience to him. And then he adds, God's commandments are not grievous. Certainly not for the believer. No. Because why? The believer loves him. He loves him. And so he's willing to follow through. Now, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. 
and note some verses here that speak of abounding in love in our personal life. Philippians chapter 1 and verses uh, 9 through 11. And let's note the results of abounding in love for God. Paul writes, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Look at the results of abounding in love in our personal life. First of all, I note that we gain spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you learn to know what is best in life. Not just what is good, but what is best. What is best. When we pursue a love life with Jesus Christ, when that is active and daily, we gain spiritual discernment. We note that here. We also note uh, that... A result of abounding in love for God is integrity of life. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Has to do with being pure and blameless in life. No one can say, hey, he's guilty of this, he's guilty of this, look what he's been doing. No, but it's integrity of life. When we are abounding in love for Jesus Christ. Integrity of life. And then I also note a result of abounding in love for God is fruitfulness. And we could spell that word fruit and then the middle, F-U-L-L, full. In other words, this person is full of fruit. (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit. But we read there that this person is filled with the fruits of righteousness. No, not for your honor and glory, but it's to the glory and praise of God. Uh, Results of abounding in love for God. Now, before we move on to to the home for a moment, let me just quickly mention that abounding in love for God is really about priorities in life. It's really about priorities in life. Uh, You know, don't expect to have a vibrant and active and exciting relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to be winning consistent victories and all that, when you know full well that there are other things that are competing for number one. Don't expect those things. Don't, don't fool yourself. No, but abounding in love for God is all about priorities in life. Any, any meaningful love relationship requires sacrifice. You husbands and wives know that. And maybe if you're dating, you maybe you're starting to figure that out too. But any meaningful love relationship requires sacrifice. The same is true for our spiritual life and our love for God. It requires sacrifice. What's best? Now, there might be a number of good things, but what's best in life? Where should my effort be put to most of all? And so we must put those other things to death. And put God back where he belongs. It's about priorities in life. Now, let's let's look for a few minutes yet on abounding in love in the home. 
once again, all of, all of these points could, could be sermons in themselves and several, many sermons, weekends, you know, just, just on each of these. And once again, I found it so difficult to know how to break this down. And, and as you see, I'm not even getting it done in one sermon this morning, you know, but I have to work on that because it's supposed to be one later. Uh, anyway, abounding in love in our home, at the heart of God is a, a longing to see homes that are abounding in love. It's a longing to see homes that are abounding in love. Homes that are warm and inviting. Uh, homes where children are dearly loved. Highly valued, you could say. Homes that are safe havens from the pressures and temptations of society around us. Homes that are noticeably different Because of biblical conviction. Homes that are actively passing the faith on to the next generation. I say at the heart of God is a longing to see homes like this. You know, I believe that any home can be a beautiful place. I really do. But it calls for each one to honor and to apply God's blueprint for the family. God has given clear direction in his word concerning relationships in the home. And no one is left out. He speaks to the, to the men and to the women, to the husbands, to the wives, to the children, to the fathers. I did note that, I didn't look at this extensively, but I didn't write off see something directly to the mothers. You can look that up for yourself and I'll look at that more later. But those, that wasn't, didn't stick out to me right, at, right off the bat. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. This is, uh, this is one of the places we look in Scripture uh, for looking at relationships in the home. Colossians chapter 3. Starting at verse 18. We read these. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Okay, so in those four verses, we see four different parties represented there. Um, I'll I'll note the husbands first. Husbands, it it speaks of sacrificial love to, to to our wives. A sacrificial love. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives more detail on that. We won't look into that right now. But, but it's a love that, that gives. It's a giving kind of love. Just like Christ gave himself for the church. And he goes on to say that, you know, no, no man has ever yet hated his own body, but he takes care of it. Just like Christ takes care of the church. And husbands, we are to... Take care of our wives in the same way. To love them just like our own body. Be not bitter against them or don't be harsh with them. Love them like yourself and don't be harsh with them. Wives, verse 18, speaks of submission as it is fit in the Lord. Submission. Once again, Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes about the fact that wives are to submit to their husband. And some, some ladies throw a big fuss about that. But, but the truth is, as I see it, if the husband is loving his 
wife like he ought, the submission should not be a problem. I, I believe that that would help a lot of marriages, but it starts with the man to love as he loves himself. That means sacrifice, some things that he might think are important, but sacrifice and love. And don't be harsh. I speak to myself on that one. Children, here's for you. You also have some directives here in the Bible. Children, you are to obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in all things, it says, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes that it is the right thing to do. (laughs) Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And it also says to honor your father and mother, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Okay, some, some blessings there promised to children who obey and honor their parents. And then yet we have direction given to fathers. Uh, there in, in, in Colossians again, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4 also talks about don't make them bitter. So fathers, we are not to, to relate to our children in a way that discourages them or, or angers them or makes them bitter about home life or about your leadership, but to lovingly teach them, to nurture them, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I've heard it said before, dads, uh, that the best thing we can do for our children is to love their mother. Now, (laughs) providing their mother is our wife, (laughs) you know, I mean, we don't have to worry about that in this setting, but (laughs) unfortunately, this is... 2018 USA, and and that, well, you know how it is. Homes are messed up. Homes are messed up. And dear people, there is a battle that is raging against the Christian home today. Uh, The devil is doing all he can to confuse it and to compromise it and, and to cut it down because he knows that the Christian home is perhaps the most powerful institution on the face of the earth, the Christian home. You know, in the Christian home is where little soldiers are born and being raised and trained for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Christian home is where, is where song leaders and preachers and teachers and, and, and school teachers and missionaries are being raised up and trained for the glory of God and for the work of the kingdom. And it's where the most significant and the most lasting influences are established in the home. That's where it starts. Those are the ones that that stick with children usually throughout life, far and above other things that come along. And Satan knows, I believe, that if if he can destroy the foundation of the home as God intended it to be, then he's got the people. He's got the people. And parents, I don't have to remind you that, that this is a, a large and staggering responsibility. But it's also a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity. And God is counting on us to step up to the plate, to have courage, and to train up our children in the fear of God. Homes that are abounding in love. You know, a home that abounds in love will never just happen on its own. Certainly not. Uh, we, all know, uh, we all know too well 
how home life goes when it just happens on its own. It doesn't go that pretty. But a home that honors the Lord is built with much thought and with much care and with much prayer. There's there's a lot of intentionality in a home like that. It begins with two individuals who are faithfully committed to serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and then in turn, they are faithfully committed to loving each other till death do them part. And then there's the responsibility to love the children. You know, I think about this from time to time as we relate to the the children through the echo ministry. The lack of love that we see in these children's lives. You know, children, children crave attention. Children crave love. And we see that in these young children uh, that we relate to through Echo. Uh, there's a desire there for someone to notice them. They want to be accepted. And, 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 and so they do all kinds of things, <laughs> you know, which can make life difficult here. But they, they're trying to express their frustration of they don't get that at home. They want someone to notice them, to love them. There's a lack of security in their life. And the sobering truth is, dear people, that when this love is not found in the home, it will be found somewhere else. It will be found somewhere else. That's a very sobering thought for me as a, as a young father. What is the atmosphere in my home? Is it, is it, is, is it creating uh, a desire to stay, you know, a warmth, a love, a security? Is it an environment that builds them up and nurtures them and gives them a, a way to express themselves in good godly ways? You know, our children need warm love and godly example to grow strong and healthy and stable. You could say just like a, just like a plant needs the, the warmth of the sun to grow strong and straight. Our children also need that warm love. Well, I believe that the greatest act of love we can do for our children is to consistently show them by example what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? How does that look in modern life? And yes, time is important too. I'm not saying that time is not important. Some, I think some people say that you can spell love for your children, T-I-M-E. <laughs> and in that, I don't, I'm not refuting that. But I believe that the time best spent is showing them by example what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in everyday life. And then let them experience that firsthand. Let them experience the rich blessing that comes along with that. In conclusion, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's note some final verses here. As we think about abounding in love, I want to note Paul's prayer for the Ephesians here, starting in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. And as we read these verses, I want you to note who is inside of this person. Okay, so, so it's describing here a person that is filled and full and overflowing. But I want you to note in particular who is inside of this person. Verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory 
to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Okay, now did you note in there who is to be inside this person? First of all, we see that the Spirit is to be in the inner man. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit within this person. Next we see that Christ is dwelling in their hearts by faith. Thirdly, we see that they are going to be filled with all the fullness of God. I was like, that's the Trinity. (laughs) Father, Son, and Spirit in this person's life. And this person is is strengthened, and they are rooted, and they are grounded, and they have a wisdom. They, They have spiritual discernment in life. They are filled, and they know the love of Christ. It's an experiential knowledge. They know the love of Christ, and that is working in them, and it's being expressed then in how they live their life, in all the different facets of life. I just found that powerful. I say when this is your experience, then love will abound, because God is love, and if God is in you, that will show. That will show. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you so much again for your powerful word that speaks to our hearts and lives this morning. Father, as we think about this this thing called love, uh, we feel so inadequate. We feel so unworthy. And we realize anew, Father, your great, great, unspeakable gift of love in sending Jesus and granting us and offering us salvation and forgiveness of sins and peace with God and our fellow men and just so many blessings, victory over sin. And uh, Father, the list could go on and on. And we thank you once again, Father, for what you have done for us. Father, I pray that we would, as we accept this, that it would change our life that Christ would be seen within us, that we would abound in love, that we would live, truly live in love, that all the different areas of our life would be impacted greatly because of this love, that those that are looking on us would know that we're different because we love you, and that shows, and that speaks. So, Father, may you just continue to stir our hearts, give us a continued desire to grow in your likeness, to be a a Christian that is abounding in your ways and in your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.